Someone once said that if being a Christian were a crime, if it were illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your home to convict you of being a Christian? People need to know where we stand. Please open your Bible to the book of Psalms, about the middle of the Bible, Psalm 145. Psalm 145. In just a very short little while, we are going to um, have the communion service. We'll be breaking bread together. If you know the Lord is your Savior and you're living your life for Him, you are encouraged to be part of this with us. Psalm 145. Now if you have that, may I ask you please to stand to your feet. We want to read the first five verses together and I want you to take particular notice of verse number five. And so if you're all ready, let's begin reading the first five verses of Psalm 145. Let's begin now. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. Our Heavenly Father, help us now as we seek to draw very close to you. We thank you for all of the ministry tonight, the ministry of congregational singing, the ministry of special music, the ministry of sharing together, reading scripture. Now, Lord, please help us to draw close to you. Prepare us for the table of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, here's a, an amazing psalm written by King David. And he, he's just full of praise and glory to God. Um, he speaks of, of blessing God. Now, when you, when you bless someone, it, the idea is to sort of make them fuller, richer, happier. That's the idea when you bless someone. And when King David was going to bless God, the ways in which he would have done that, of course, is with worship. He would have worshipped the Lord. He would have praised the Lord. He would have loved the Lord. He would have obeyed the Lord. He would have also done the Old Testament sacrifices for the Lord. So he says, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Not just here on earth, folks. We're going to have a continued ministry of praising the Lord after we leave this world. But here in this world, verse 2, every day will I bless thee and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And look at this. His greatness is 
is unsearchable. You cannot get to the end of it. You may think you know a lot about God. You and I, we know almost nothing compared to his true greatness. God is so great. He is so incredibly great. His wealth, his power, his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding. Only he is fit to be God. So look at verse 4. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a responsibility, an obligation to pass on what you know to the next generation coming up behind you. You have a job to do. And it's not just with your words, but it's with your actions. Your, your life speaks volumes. Sadly, there are in churches around the world people we know as hypocrites. They put on a face and maybe one day they'll look a certain way, another day they look totally different. Perhaps on, on Sunday in church they, they speak a certain way and smile a certain way, but come Monday they're a different person. They get in there and they you know, almost like act almost like hogs at the feeding trough. And they're you know, elbowing people and doing whatever worldly thing they have to do to try and further their, their uh, financial position or their career or their, their lot in life. That's sad, isn't it? The Lord wants us to be the, the same on Monday as we are on Sunday. It's very important that we learn to be, become more like Jesus Christ day by day, and that become the norm for us. Not the abnorm, but the norm. And so we have this responsibility to teach, to preach, to behave in a way that's going to bring glory to God. And we do this in the eyes of the younger generation that's coming up behind us. If we would do that, I think that we'll bring incredible glory to God and we'll help safeguard the next generation so that they don't think of us as hypocrites, as just in it for the self-glory. Oh, my mom, my dad, I know what they look like on Sunday, but I'm telling you, when we get in the car on the way home, they're different people. When we uh, get up in the morning on Monday morning, they're nothing like the way they behave in church on Sunday morning. I don't know if that's true of anyone in our church. As far as I know, it's not true of anyone connected with our church. But I do believe that that sort of thing happens, perhaps far too often. And so it's very important that what we are before the Lord in his house on Sunday, we maintain that on Monday and throughout the week. And so verse 4 is very important about one generation. Now it gets right down to the individual in verse 5. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. There's something that parents need to do for their children is let their children know how incredibly great God is. And they do that in various ways, including family devotions and 
just talk around the meal table and in the home. It's important, I think, that we honor the Lord, that we put up a picture or a, a, I should say maybe a, a frame with Bible verses or perhaps a Bible scenery or something like that. It's important that the children grow up in a God-fearing home. Too many Christian homes don't have any indication whatsoever that they're saved, born again. If visitors came in or strangers came in the home, what testimony, what evidence would there be that the Lord is honored and loved and exalted? And so it's important that we give this some thought. All right, people, they approach my home. Is there anything, is there a, a welcome mat, you know, that, that might have a Bible verse on it? Or is there, there are a few words or something? Uh, what about as they come in the front door? Is there any indication there? As they come in further into my home, is there evidence? Someone once said that if being a Christian were a crime, if it were illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your home to convict you of being a Christian? People need to know where we stand. They need to know. That's why it's so important that we bow our head before we pray. When we're at work in the lunchroom, it's very important that people look over and see us with our head bowed, knowing that we're praying. That's very important. It's very important that we respond to mishaps and even tragedy in a godly fashion. Because if they don't see Jesus in us, where are they going to see Jesus? You remember the hymn that Ron, Ron Hamilton wrote, I saw Jesus in you. Boy, I love that hymn. That, that's really great. I saw Jesus in you. So people need to see the Lord in us. So this is very important. In verse 5, he says, I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty. Now, there have been many people in the world that have done amazing things. Uh, in the world of art, uh, Leonardo da Vinci comes to, name, comes to mind only because he's very famous the world over. There are not many people that have not heard of Leonardo da Vinci. As you know, he was um, a very famous painter. He was more than that, but he could paint some incredible pictures. Now, if I ask you to think of the name of one of his paintings, a painting by Leonardo da Vinci, what name of a painting might come to mind? You tell me. Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa. We look on that, and it's a priceless work of art. Earlier, we talked about the most expensive license plate in the world, 15 million U.S. dollars. 15 million U.S. dollars wouldn't buy you the frame on which the Mona Lisa is, uh, is displayed. That painting is, is incredible. It's been around hundreds of years. It's been attacked I believe it was stolen and recovered and so on. And the security around the Mona Lisa is so paranoid. I have read, I don't know if it's true because I don't work there. I have no first-hand knowledge, but I have read where if you go into the Louvre in, 
Paris, and you look at the Mona Lisa, that's actually not the Mona Lisa. That's a copy. Whether this is true or not, I couldn't tell you. But I've read that they came up with the most brilliant copy and put that on display. And down below in the vaults of the museum, that's where the original Mona Lisa is kept. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But it, it's an interesting story, isn't it? That painting is, is so priceless. Um, it's known the world over. But da Vinci was not only a great painter. Da Vinci was also an engineer. He was a scientist. He was an inventor. He was an amazing man with amazing creative talents. Now, what his personal life was like, I couldn't tell you. I don't know a whole lot about the man. I just know a little about some of his accomplishments. I've seen various drawings and pictures. In fact, I have somewhere in my pile of stuff, I have a little model of those flying wings that he made. Maybe you're familiar with what I'm talking about, but he designed some wings that a man could put on in order to fly. I don't think they ever really worked, but uh, there's an incredible idea. Many people have tried flying using his designs. I think many of them died, but um, we talk about da Vinci and we talk about his wonderful works. Well, folks, let's refocus on the creator God. And his greatness is beyond da Vinci. Da Vinci with all of his genius. In fact, listen. If you were to take the most brilliant, the most brilliant men and women that have ever lived with the highest IQ and the greatest persuasive ability to do things in the world in terms of politics, in terms of economy and business, in terms of science and medicine and research, in terms of writing, in, in terms of the arts. If you were to take the most brilliant of the brilliant people and put them all together, they couldn't hold a candle to God's greatness. God is so much greater, so much wiser, so much more creative. And we're to talk about these things to the next generation up and coming. Isn't that interesting? What an interesting job we've been given. We are to glorify our Lord. Well, how do we talk about his greatness? Well, let me give you a few ideas. Number one, we talk about how he created the universe. Out of nothing. Nothing. All of the evolutionists believe that at some point there had to be something. And then from that something came what we have. That's what the evolutionists are trying to make the world believe. I don't believe in the arguments of evolution at all. Darwinian evolution. There's a few different types of evolution, but Darwinian is the most popular one. I don't believe it. I think it falls flat on its beak. There are so many incredible gaps where you have to insert a miracle here and a miracle there in order to make the thing work. It can't stand up on its own two legs. God created. In the beginning, God created. We have the answer, folks. And we're to pass this valuable information on to the generation coming up. He not only created this world, he created all of the universe and all of the universes that there are. There are so many things we don't know. 
He created all of the stars, all of the planets, all of the moons. They just discovered a whole bunch more moons out there. Their uh, big telescopes that they send out, you know, the, uh, the Hubble telescope and then that, that newest one. What's its name again? Anyone know? The latest one? Anybody? You don't know either, do you? They spent $15 billion on it or something like that. Some, it's named after some guy. Webb, that's it. The Webb Telescope. And they finally got this thing out there. And it is capturing some unbelievable pictures of what's happening out in space. Things that we never knew existed. God created them. My God designed them and created them. And this is one way that we pass on this greatness of God. Is we, we help the younger generation to see the vastness, the incredible vastness of God's creative ability. He created this world. If that's all God created was just this world, there's far more than enough evidence and testimony to give him praise and honor and glory as we learn about our world. There are things about our world we still don't know. Things as simple as gravity. They, they all know it exists. All you have to do is jump off a chair or something and gravity reminds you in a hurry <laughs> that you're not in outer space. But exactly what is gravity? This invisible force that grabs you by the heels and yanks you down. What, what causes it? What is it? Still don't know. There's all kinds of things about this world. We haven't even explored the depths of the deepest seas. We haven't even done that. There's so much we don't know. And with microscopes and scanning electron microscopes, the, the deeper we go, the more we realize that there's incredible ingenuity, design and beauty in all these things. And we're to pass this on. We talk about how he created the oceans, teeming with life. We, we talk about how God created lands and animals and birds and bugs and mosquitoes. I am not a fan of mosquitoes. Mosquitoes are my fans. But I, I am not a fan of mosquitoes. <laughs> then God created us. He created us in his own image. Of course, what happened shortly after was we were tempted and we sinned and we broke our relationship with God. That's exactly what happened. Later on, God created a worldwide flood. There are some people who seem to think that the flood of Noah's day was just local. That's not true. God promised he would not destroy the world through a flood. And if the flood was only local, not universal, but just local in one area, then God broke his promise because many places have been destroyed by floods. The flood was worldwide. It changed the landscape of the entire world. It moved continents. It created valleys. It created mountains. It sure played around with the oceans of the world, that's for sure. It buried so many, many, many life forms. 
God created the nation Israel, which to this very day is a miracle. There is no other nation ever to have gone through what the nation Israel has gone through and still be intact and still survive. There is no other nation. There are old nations, I grant you that. But there are no old nations that have been conquered, deported, miraculously came back. You know, follow the story of Israel. And that in itself is a miracle, pointing to the grace and mercy and power of Almighty God. Later on, God created the church. For the last 2,000 years, Satan has not been able to destroy the church. Oh, he tried. Numerous times he's tried throughout the last 2,000 years to destroy the church, to destroy Christianity, to destroy the Bible. He's not been able to do it. But I do believe that his greatest work was creating a way for you and I to get to heaven. This, I think, is a creme de la creme. God created a way for you and I to get to heaven. I'd like you to look at that if you would turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 15. Mark 15. Mark chapter 15. We'll not read the entire chapter. But I'd like you to follow along with me, please, as I read from verse 29. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days. Save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, pause for just a moment, they began the clock ticking at six in the morning. So the sixth hour would have been 12 noon. Six hours from six in the morning till 12 noon. So the time now here is high noon when the sun is, is at its peak. So verse 33, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And so if the sixth hour was 12, noon, what time would the ninth hour be? Anybody? Hmm? Three. Three in the afternoon. So for three hours, it was dark. Verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Here Jesus was on the cross doing his greatest work, the greatest miraculous work. And the world stood by and mocked him. They laughed him to scorn. With glee they watched him nailed to the cross. They didn't understand what he was doing and what his work was all about. They didn't understand. And if Jesus had not have prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I believe that divine judgment would have fallen from heaven and barbecued them all. But because of his mercy and love, knowing they didn't understand, he pressed on. His greatest work was being accomplished right here, right at this moment. Even the disciples, sadly, even the disciples standing near the cross and looking on, they failed to understand what Jesus was doing. Why is he up there? Why did this have to happen? This is the end. Oh, whoa, whoa, this is the end. That's their thought. Meanwhile, the Heavenly Father had to do something he's never ever done in all eternity. For all of the eons and eons and eons of eternity past to this very moment, the Father and the Son had perfect one-on-one relationship. A face-to-face relationship. They enjoyed each other's company for eons and eons and eons of time. And now for the first time ever, 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 the Father had to turn his back on his own Son. How that must have broken the Father's heart to do that. He could not look upon his Son's work The Father drew a curtain across the sky and he darkened the whole land. And although it doesn't say here, I'm sure that even the angels in heaven turned away their eyes. As God of very God became sin for you and for me. This was the awful, horrible, dark side of redemption. Someone had to pay. And God said, I'll do it. And I believe he did his greatest work. You know, there's an interesting verse in Proverbs chapter 15, and it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And yet here, the Lord God could not behold the pitiful sight of his own son bearing our sins in his body on the cross. Amazing, isn't it? Can we speak of more glorious honor and wondrous work than what Jesus did on the cross? I believe it's the greatest work of God. And this is why we loved him. We, we love him because he first loved us. That's why we love him. And he found us in our deplorable, pitiful condition. And he graciously educated us. He wooed us. Opened the eyes of our understanding. It's like we saw the light dawning on us from heaven. It's like the light bulb went on. And we reached up to him and said, Lord. You know, when you and I get to heaven... 
there is going to be a point where our Savior Jesus will look at our lives on earth and see if there's anything there he can reward. Far too many Christians, born again, blood-bought, on their way to heaven, men, women, and young people, far, far too many, the world over, far too many Christians are doing far too little for the cause of Jesus Christ. When you get to heaven and you look back on your life on earth, what wondrous works will you be able to see? We're talking tonight about the wonderful works of God and passing this precious information on to the next generation. Well, if somehow you were called to heaven tonight at midnight in your sleep, now you're in heaven and you look back on your life on earth, Maybe your life will be 20 years. Maybe your life will be 85 years. Whatever your life on earth. What great wondrous things have you done for Jesus Christ? That's a good question. Because only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. What works have you done that have brought him honor and glory and majesty? Most Christians, they don't seem to get this far. I thank God for every man, woman, young person the world over who's born again and saved. I can call them brother or sister. We're part of the same family. But are we all serving our Heavenly Father the way we should? at home, at work, here at church. Our lives, what do they mean if not living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. When you look back on your life, what glorious things have you done for God? I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wonderful works. Can we speak of more glorious and honor and wonderful work than that of Jesus Christ on the cross? Well, we honor him at this communion service and we pledge to live our lives for him. Now at this point, I would like to invite you to pray. And to seek the Lord. And to pray and say, Lord, search my life. Is there anything there that I've done for you? Is there any good thing? Are there any ongoing good things? If you've done one great thing for God, praise the Lord. But don't let it stop there. Let that be the first of many. Let your life bring honor and glory to God. So let's do that now. Let's bow our heads right now. Let's close our eyes. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.